You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. All right, I've been asked to read scripture this morning. So please join me uh, in the Word of God in Luke chapter 15. I'll read verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my, lost, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Well, I've got some more good news for you this morning. Uh, on top of all the good things that are happening in Life Church, the good news I'm bringing to you today is that our God gets joy from seeking and saving lost people. It's good news, isn't it? I mean, he just loves it. It, it makes his heart go wild. Um, I'm wondering, have you ever met someone with such a big heart that their family just kept growing as a result of it? I've known a few people that were this way with animals. Uh, they, they just couldn't take it if they met a stray, a stray dog or a stray cat or, you know, whatever, a family of rabbits or even mice or whatever, and, and they just found it in their heart to like, okay, well, because I found you and you're lost, I'll take you in and you can be part of my family. And as a result, their, their, their house is overflowing with animals soon. You know, Jenny and I were also deeply impacted by someone who did this with children, um, a young lady who actually really was a part of the inspiration process of us adopting. Um, her name's Katie Davis, and she's the founder of Amazama Ministries in Uganda. But as a 21-year-old college student, she took uh, a, a trip, much like many of our college students are taking this summer, and went to Uganda. And her story's just remarkable, uh, because she spent a little bit of time there and then went back, but fell in love with the people and said, I got to go back permanently. And she went back, and as, as a a resident of Uganda, she ran into tons of need, all kinds of need all over the place. But one thing that really gripped her heart was she would run into these street children, and, and there would not be one single person that they could point to in their lives that was responsible for their well-being. Like, she's like, you just got, you got no one? And she's like, all right, that does it. You're coming with me. And she would take them in, and one by one, Katie Davis, a 21-year-old 21 college student, would adopt them into her family. And by 23, get this, she had 13 children adopted into her family. I think I got a lot of kids. I'm like, wow, as a single 23-year-old woman living in a foreign country, she had 13 kids. Heart was so big, so much in her heart for lost people. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Katie Davis's heart, you read about it in Kisses from Katie, that's her book. Katie Davis's heart is just a small little snapshot just a tiny little fraction of a percentage of what our God's heart is like. He's out there, and he's not just you know, casually bumping into a, a lost person saying, oh, okay, so I suppose since I bumped into you, I'll, I'll rescue and take you into my family. No, he's looking, he's seeking, 
He's watching. He's calling. He's aggressive. And all the time, he's bringing more and more of them home. And it's not a burden to him, not at all. It's pure joy and delight. That is the heart of our God. And last week in our family meeting, after the service, we we gathered, and many of you were there, we talked about um, the reality that our church is growing. We rolled out this, this, this plan to expand this facility, make room for the people that God's bringing to us. There's lots of joy. Uh, we talked about how it's in line with our five-year vision that by 2022, we foresaw that God would, would have us in an expanded multi-purpose facility working in this community and with other churches around this city, partnering together to make disciples of Jesus. Like, that's our mission. That's our goal. And those kind of talks are really exciting, and they're, they're kind of fun, but they're also a little scary, too, aren't they? They're a little scary. I think they're scary because we've got a great thing going at Life Church right now, right? I mean, I can't remember a more joyful, um, exciting time where God was moving in Life Church, and it just seemed like everything's so good. Why would we want to change anything, right? If it's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, a lot of times, Pastor Bill and I look at each other, and we're like, what did we deserve to pastor such an amazing church? And I know many of you think, wow, just changing anything only has the possibility of making it worse. We're here to talk about that today, and Pastor Bill and I wanted to take these next couple of weeks to really share our heart with you about this thing called church growth and what is God doing there. But moreover, we wanted to really lock in on what's God's heart for growing his family? What's God's heart for people? Because that's what really matters, right? We set all of our personal preferences aside, all of our, our comforts and all the things that make us, um, that bring us here and that, that make us happy, and we say, all right, what does God want for his church and for his people? And the reality is that Life Church is growing. By God's grace, we're growing numerically, but hopefully we're also growing in the depth of disciples as well, like in our depth of love for Jesus and our obedience to him, we're growing in that way too. And with growth, there's, um, there's lots of joys, but there's also some growing pains as well. And I've found that churches tend to fall into one of two um, pitfalls, you might say, when it comes to church growth. Um, I've seen churches, first of all, fall into the pitfall of idolizing church growth. Maybe some of you have been a part of a church that it seemed like growth or getting more people to church to fill the seats was a bigger deal than Jesus himself, right? Like, we just need to be the next big thing, and we got all the lights and the smoke machines, and my heart's been there before. It's not there now, praise God. But, but like we just we focus on how do we get people here, and how do we keep people here, and, and that becomes all the focus and, and gets all the attention. We just think that's garbage. We think the church is supposed to be about Jesus. The, the, the church is supposed to be about his name, making him great. It's not about us making a name for ourselves. And praise God, I don't think that's the pitfall that Life Church would get trapped in. I think we're much more prone to the second pitfall, which is treating church growth like the plague. I've heard many of you talking last week when we talked about how Life Church is growing. There was a lot of physical responses on your faces like, oh, this, this is threatening to us, right? Because we like our church community, and we like it comfortable, and we like knowing everybody, and so it doesn't good to us the idea of adding more people to our number. And there's a different idol at work here, and that would be the idol of comfort and safety and security. We want us for and no more kind of thing, right? Like we want to stay just us, our circle of friends, and, and others have the potential to mess that up. 
What we really need is a gospel-centered growth position that won't allow us to take either position. We can't idolize growth and make it that big thing. If God gives growth, that's, that's his thing. It's in his heart to add people to his family. And so we can't take the other position as well where we sort of demonize growth and we run from it. And so hopefully our text today is going to help us, lead us to that gospel-centered mindset where we learn God's heart and the joy that flows from it as he seeks and saves lost people. So let's look at our text here today in Luke chapter 15. And as we move through it, I just want you to notice three big things. First of all, there's a problem that we have with God and his ways of seeking and saving lost people. Then there's a reminder we need, and there's an invitation to join him. So there's a problem we have, there's a reminder we need, and an invitation to join. So first of all, the problem we have with God's ways of constantly seeking and saving lost people, he's always doing this. And as we begin, just a little bit of background here. Luke is writing this gospel, this this narrative, this collection of events of Jesus' life. He's writing this primarily for non-Jews, for Gentiles. Anybody in here a, a Messianic Jew or a Jewish background? We got like one or two. So this gospel is written for us. I find that to be pretty amazing, right? Like, we wouldn't be here reading this if God hadn't opened the door to the Gentiles, right? God's plan of salvation was for the Jews, for the Hebrew people, descendants of Abraham, and it was locked up tight. And then Jesus came along, and God said, I'm going to blow this plan wide open and make the good news, make my salvation plan, invite every single person from every tribe, tongue, and nation into my family. And Luke writes his gospel for that reason. So the very fact that we're sitting here reading the words of the good Dr. Luke is a testament to how much God just can't help it. His heart is just so big to invite lost people into his family. He's seeking and saving them constantly. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's two groups of people gathered around Jesus as he tells this parable, which Luke lets us see these two groups because he wants us to know what Jesus is up to here, what's going on and and what's the circumstance and what is Jesus trying to get at with this parable. If you don't know what a parable is, it's just a a small, short, earthly story that has a big kingdom um, idea behind it. It's getting at a big kingdom idea. And so there was two groups of people, the tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes, or teachers of the law, the religious leaders. And tax collectors um, and sinners, you might think, aren't those two the same kind of thing? Well, tax collectors got their own category of sinfulness because they were the rich sinners and they were hated by everybody, right? Um, they, they were like traitors to their own people. Their people had been conquered by the Roman government, and then they partnered up with the Roman government to gouge and collect taxes from their own people. So you talk about people that you just did not want to associate with, tax collectors were right there. And then there was the regular sinful people. And of course, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders are there, and they're grumbling. And they're grumbling because, of course, Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and sinners, And that was scandalous in those days, right? To have a a teacher of the law sitting down and eating with sinful people because you might think, well, what's he doing? Is he blessing their behavior? Is he condoning their their lifestyle? What's he saying about this? You know, is he he sort of saying, no worries, guys. I'm totally cool with your lifestyle and everything that you're doing. And this would still be controversial today. Um, Like, just imagine Billy Graham when he was alive, very... 
well-known Christian figure, if he was sitting down at Applebee's for beers with Hugh Hefner and Jay-Z, we'd all be like, hey, what's going on with Bill? You know, Reverend Graham, what's going on, man? Like, are you blessing the, the behavior of these guys? What are you, what are you thinking? Um, is he approving of what they're doing? We'd all be kind of curious, like, what's going on? And that's what they're saying about Jesus here. And the interesting thing is, I think Jesus still gets a little bit of a reputation uh, for being this kind of a character, for being a sort of, I don't know, an all-inclusive guy who's just sort of partying with people and, and never really confronting any, anything they're doing, sort of Jesus the hippie, right? I hear people talk like this, like, well, Jesus, Jesus just loved people. That's all he ever did. Yeah, and? You know, like he did some other things, too. He said some other things, too. If you read the whole story, Jesus confronted a lot of people. And when he's sitting down and eating with them, he's always aiming at their hearts because he's seeking and saving lost people. That's what he's doing, and that's why he tells this parable. I mean, think about other places in the scriptures, even other places in Luke's gospel. In Luke 19, Jesus eats with another tax collector, actually the chief tax collector. So he's got this giant Ponzi scheme, and he's scheming all of his own countrymen out of tons of money, and he's super rich. His name's Zacchaeus. It's like a little Danny DeVito, super rich, really short. And, and uh, Jesus says, I'm going to go and eat with you, Zacchaeus. And so he comes down out of the tree, and they have a meal together. And, of course, there the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling too. But what comes out of that meal? Anybody remember? Zacchaeus gives away half of his fortune. It's a lot of money for that dude. And he says, I'm going to repay everybody four times what I owed them. That's a pretty productive meal. I think Pastor Bill and I would have a lot more meals with people if that's what happened. You know, like, that's a good meal. Jesus, you know, is found with the woman caught in adultery. And, yeah, he stands up for her. Literally in the parable, he stands up for her. Hey, you guys without sin, you throw the first stone. Everybody goes away. But then he says one thing. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Right? There's always a balance with Jesus. He's offering grace, but he's also challenging and, and, and wanting to rescue and, and saying, hey, I want you to repent and turn and come and follow me. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus says he's like a physician that came not for the sick but for the healthy. That's because our God gets joy from seeking and saving lost people. And that's why Jesus is telling this parable. He's saying, guys, don't you see what I'm doing here? I'm not condoning their behavior. I'm not saying, yeah, just keep gouging people. Yeah, just keep sleeping around or whatever. He's like saying, I'm seeking these people to save them. I'm rescuing them. That's exactly why Jesus tells this parable. But notice the religious leaders around Jesus, they have a problem with this. They don't like it one bit. They grumbled about it. Now, what they failed to realize is that if Jesus never ate with sinners, he would never eat with anyone ever right? They're like, wow, he eats with sinners. And he's like, I kind of got to eat with somebody. You know, like Jesus is the only person without sin. And so the truth is, there's not two categories of sinners, the the tax collectors and the regular sinners. There's actually the self-righteous, prideful sinners too. And they're the ones that are grumbling about Jesus eating with the other groups of sinners. And maybe we don't have the same mindset that the religious leaders had. But if we're honest, oftentimes, we find this strange thing that we have a problem with God seeking and saving more lost people. And I think there are two main reasons that we have a problem with it. The first reason is the self-righteous reason, and this is the reason we run into here in, in Luke's gospel, here in the parable. On our worst days, we're a lot like these Pharisees sometimes. We don't think certain people deserve to be rescued. 
deserve to be welcomed into God's family. And, you know, we've been working hard. If you've, if you've walked as a Christian for 5, 10, 20 years, you know, you've been working hard to live an upright life, to follow Jesus, to, you know, it's, it's challenging, it's difficult, it's gritty, it's, it's tough. And so oftentimes you can be like, hey, you know, how come I'm working so hard and they just get to come in for free? It's like grace is, is too easy. It's like, you're really, you're just going to forgive them after all they did? And there's, you know, the, the parable of the lost son. That's the older brother mindset. Just a few verses down here in Luke 15. We see ourselves in a skewed way. We think grace can't be that simple. And we see ourselves as not needing the grace of God any longer. And that's where we really get messed up, so we don't see others accurately either. So that's the first problem we often run into the first reason we have a problem with God seeking and saving more lost people is the self-righteous reason. The second reason we have a problem with it is the self-protective reason. And this really hits us home when we talk about our churches growing and our church communities changing. And let's face it, we like the comfort of our church situation. It's really great. I like it. Pastor Bill likes it. We like knowing all the people around us. We like holy people. We like clean people. We like people that have been sanctified for a while. That feels good to us. We think those other people, they might just mess up the dynamic. They're just going to come in and make it all weird. This is good right now, right? Why change anything? And I don't know where you're at today, but if you find either of these two mindsets growing in your heart, we've forgotten a couple things, right? The first big thing we've forgotten is we've forgotten what God is really like. We've forgotten that his heart is bigger than we can imagine. That he loves people as the pinnacle of his creation and he's always pursuing those who are far from him. That he rejoices like no other when one of them repents and comes home. And so any mindset that resists growth at all costs just stands in stark contrast to the heart of our God. So we just can't be there. We can't just be like, no more. Because God's heart just says, what? No. Come on in. I'm, I'm constantly inviting more people in. But the second thing we've forgotten if we've adopted any of these mindsets is we've forgotten that we, too, were once a lost sheep. It's like our parable here. And we have this weird tendency. I just hate it. But as a Christian, the longer you live as a Christian, the more challenging it is to not get over what Jesus has done for you. I mean, don't you feel that? Like, like, every year, it's like, I have, to, I have to have, like, times of prayer and fasting, like, remind myself, like, God saved me, too. It wasn't like I picked Jesus for my team. It was like, God saved me, too, and went and got me. And once, if, if, we, if we don't keep that in mind, we just get off on all sorts of wrong perspectives. And so that leads us to the second point. There's a reminder in this parable that we all need, every last one of us. And Jesus begins this reminder with a parable in verse 3. And anytime we read a parable, we have to ask ourselves two questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, who, is, who, are, who are we in the parable? What, what uh, character represents us? And this is not brain surgery, people. Jesus tells us these stories to make it a little easier for us to understand. We, well, God in the parable, or Jesus in the parable, is who? Everybody say it. The shepherd, right? Jesus is a shepherd, and that makes us the sheep. All right, that makes us the sheep. Jesus even calls himself the shepherd in John chapter 10. And making us the sheep, that's not a compliment, right? I mean, how many of you know something about sheep? 
Um, I grew up working on a farm part-time in like middle school and high school, and that particular farmer had hogs and sheep. And so I learned a few things about sheep that are quite amusing. Um, number one, I learned that sheep are dumb. Some of the dumbest animals on the planet. So this is not a cute little story that Jesus tells about us. Like, this is insulting in some ways. Sheep are dumb. I remember the farmer running to the hog pen one day saying there was a sheep that got in with the hogs. And of course, as a city boy, I'm like, what's the big deal about that? You know, like, haven't you seen the movie Babe? Sheep and hogs, they get along just fine. Uh, and I, so I asked him, I said, what's the, what's the problem with the sheep getting in with the hogs? He says, well, the sheep, they're pretty dumb, so they just, like, freeze. And they just stand there, and the hogs will gather around it and actually eat it. I'm like, wow, that's dumb. Like, it doesn't run around at all? Like, can't, I mean, he could run around, at least get some attention, but no, it'll just freeze and then get eaten. So sheep are dumb. Number two, sheep are weak and helpless. There's nothing scary about a sheep. None of you are terrified about sheep right now, I'm willing to bet. Um, when we put our kids in bed at night and they say, I'm scared, we say, well, think of something, you know, not scary. Why don't you think about sheep? Count some sheep for a while. There's just nothing terrifying. There's nothing. They just, they're not set up well for survival in the wilderness. No talons, no claws, no special skills, no real speed to speak of. They're a little oddly shaped. They're kind of squishy. They just aren't set up well for real survival, which makes them an easy form of prey. And thirdly, sheep wander. Anybody who's tried to take care of sheep know, oh, man, they just wander around. If, you, if they get out, they just, there's no telling where they're going to be. And they're usually going to wind up in a really precarious kind of situation, wander off in all sorts of danger. And, of course, in those situations, they do become easy targets. So that's sheep, and that's all of us. That's every last one of us. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, you are sheep. I'm the shepherd. And it's not flattering, but it's true. And if you're here saying, wait, who are we again? Thank you for proving my point. We're the sheep. All right? We're the sheep. That's all we have to get today is we're the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. And Jesus calls himself the shepherd. And, you know, we have a really positive view of shepherds because, hey, we have an Easter program and we have a Christmas program and the shepherds are awesome and they carry the little sheep up here under their arms. And it's really cool. And the shepherds were the first ones to hear the good news that Jesus was born. But back in that day, being a shepherd wasn't cool either. It wasn't a glamorous position. It wasn't something that you, you know, grew up thinking, man, I hope I can be a shepherd someday. You know? Sit out there and just talk to dumb animals my whole life. I mean, that's all they had. They're out there in the wilderness by themselves talking to sheep. So there's not a lot of social skills and not a lot of showers. These guys are pretty weird. And yet Jesus says, I'm one of these guys. I take a humble position. And Jesus says, as the good shepherd, when one of his sheep go missing, he himself goes out and searches for it, which was unusual back in that day. Back in that day, the shepherd of the flock would say, I'm going to chill here with the 99. I'm going to find someone else to go get the one lost sheep. But Jesus says, no, I'm personally going to find someone to watch the 99. I'm going out. I'm seeking. I'm going to find the lost one. Shows that we've, uh, we have a really diligent, responsible, caring shepherd. And our good shepherd, Jesus, is looking. He comes down from heaven to earth, and he seeks us. And he seeks us until he finds us. And when he finds us, we're all dirty. We stink. We're probably injured and bloodied. We've gotten ourselves in a mess. And he picks us up. An average sheep weighs between 100 and 200 pounds. 
It's about the same size as a human. He picks us up, puts us on his shoulders, and carries us home. That's a picture of our salvation. That's a picture of what Jesus did for us, friends. Jesus carried a big cross, roughly 100 pounds, up a hill, Golgotha, on his back. On that cross was our sin. He literally, there was nothing we could do. Dumb and weak like sheep. And Jesus says, I'm going to get you, put you on my back, and carry you back to God. And that's what he did. That's what he did for us. There was nothing we could do. We were helpless as a sheep, and he picked us up and took us home. And I'm wondering today, do you remember that day when he came and got you? Do you remember where you were, what situation you found yourself in? Now, for some of you, this might be a little tricky because, you know, maybe you weren't, into, you weren't wandering off into the kind of the typical big sinful behaviors that, that trap a lot of people. Maybe you're doing really well and living an upright moral life, but Jesus makes a poke at this in the parable too. Look at verse 7. He says, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I see Jesus kind of smirking about this, like wondering what they're thinking about this. And I, I think he probably wished he could have said, over 99 who think they need no repentance. <laughs> like, I don't get any joy from you guys. You just don't ever repent of anything. So I'm going after the lost one. That's what Jesus is saying here. It brings my heart joy to go get them because they know they're lost. And when I find them, it brings great joy. So Christians don't just repent of the wrong things they do. They repent of all the reasons they ever did anything right. Jesus is calling us back, not just from our lawlessness, but from our self-righteousness as well. That's what makes Christianity so much different from any other world religion, you see. Any other world religion, if your outward behavior is impeccable, you're just going to get applause. That's exactly what they're going for. If you can control your outward behavior, you got it. But in Christianity, we say you could have impeccable outward behavior, just like these scribes and Pharisees, and be totally dead on the inside. And have one of the worst sin vices, which is pride, eating away at you, leading you away from God further and further all the time. So have you forgotten today that you also were a lost sheep? Have you gotten over that? Jesus picked you up, put you on his shoulders, and brought you back? That you were either rescued from your lawlessness or from your self-righteousness. Jesus came as the good shepherd, picked you up, put you on his shoulders, brought you back home where you belong. If you'll keep that in mind, friends, you will rejoice when God does that for someone else. But if you forget about it, you'll grumble just like these Pharisees and scribes. I'm asking you today, where's your heart for the lost? When's the last time you wept over a lost person? When's the last time you prayed and fasted for someone who is far from God? When's the last time it even bothered you that some people didn't know Jesus? That we, when we read the lost people, the unreached people group, that it's like less than 2%. Most people living and dying without ever hearing the name of Jesus. When's the last time that even stirred your heart? Which brings us to our final point. Look at the invitation for us to join Jesus in his joy, verse 6. He says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And the language here, he calls together. It suggests this is a formal party. This is a big deal. So he sends out invitations, gets the prime rib, the best wine, 
the most decadent desserts. He does this thing upright. And why is that? Because this is what makes our Father glad. He seeks and saves lost people. And when one of them repents, it fills his heart with joy in a way none of us really understand. And as our Father's children, I'm just asking you, how can we be against that to like protect our own safe little environment? How can we be against that? Like, isn't it our prayer that we want our heart to beat with his heart, that we want to, to grieve the things that he grieves, and we want to rejoice with the things that he rejoices in? Isn't that what we want? And Jesus here is saying, he's inviting us to align our hearts with his. He asks us not only to join him in his joy, but to join him in his mission as well. See, the, the, the invitation for Jesus to say, hey, come and rejoice with me, that cannot be separated from the invitation to join him in his mission. The two go hand in hand. I love how Daryl Bach puts it. Daryl writes one of the best commentaries on the book of Luke, and he says this. This is great about this parable. The joy of heaven is compared to a great party, all over one creature. That's you. Isn't that amazing? There was a party in heaven when you said yes to Jesus and repented and decided to follow him. That party's already happened if you're a follower of Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? So there's a party of heaven all over one creature. Here is God's heart for sinners as he works through Jesus. So also seeking the lost should be at the heart of the disciples' activity. Those who claim to serve God should be aware that this is part of their mandate. Part of our mandate, right? And this isn't overtly in the parable, but it's certainly implied. You know, the coolest part of God seeking and saving lost people is that when he rescues someone, he doesn't just say, okay, good, you're safe now. I'm going to go back and get some others. No, he takes that person. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you a new heart. Your heart's going to beat with my heart. You're going to love the things I love. You're going to want the things I love, and you're going to go after the people that I go after. And he sets them on mission immediately with him. So dear friends, please understand, we're not just open to growth in this church because, you know, it makes our, our Father's heart glad. We're open to it because this is who we are. This is our new identity, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says those who are in Christ are now new creations. Like, the, everything's changed. The old is gone. The new has come. And God himself has put his spirit in you. You've been given the spirit of the God who gets joy from seeking and saving lost people. And when his spirit lives in you, you can't help but love it too. You can't help but love it too. This is our identity. And a new identity always means we get a new mission, right? Um, anybody love the, the Bourne movies? Like the Bourne movies a lot. Jason Bourne, you know, he, he's this regular guy. Then he gets this chip planted in him. And he becomes this mo the most lethal assassin the earth has ever known. And he gets a new name, Jason Bourne. Is now his new name. It's a new identity. And with that, a new mission. That's exactly what's happened to you. Like when you said yes to Jesus, God puts his Holy Spirit in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that Holy Spirit in you says, hey, now your mission is my mission. We're going to go seek and save lost people because that's what I love to do. You don't get a say in it. It's my thing. I just love doing it. It's our identity. It's who we are. This is why Life Church, wherever God takes this church, who knows where he'll take it. One thing is for sure, we can, never be, we can never be close to God adding more people to this community 
because this is his heart, and his heart burns to do it, and if we pay attention, so does ours. I don't know where this message leaves you today. Uh, Maybe you're sitting there, and this whole time you've been saying, oh my goodness, I'm a lost sheep. And, and Jesus is reaching me today. And maybe a friend brought you or you've never heard this good news that Jesus came down from heaven to earth. We want to welcome you today. And there'll be people up here to pray with you and invite you into God's family. We're so happy that you as a lost sheep are coming home. But maybe you're here today and like me this past week, you're thinking, boy, I'm just wondering, do I love lost people like God does? Do I have a heart like his heart, to seek them and to see them come home? Am I really excited when they're welcomed into his family? Brothers and sisters, every sheep needs two things, right? A good shepherd, thankfully we already got it. His name is Jesus. But they also need a flock. They need a flock, a good flock, a local church to help them, support them, strengthen them, feed them, and pull them back when they wander. Something that people need. It's my prayer for us, Life Church, that we would be a flock that joins our good shepherd in his joy and in his mission to seek and save lost people. And when he does this, it's my prayer that we wouldn't stand like grimacing at the condition in which he found them. No, uh, we wouldn't stand, stand there insecure of our position, um, guarding our comforts, holding on to them for dear life. No, it's my prayer that we would rejoice with him and with all of heaven, I mean, imagine that party. We would get to join in on it. That one lost sheep has been brought home. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I sure am glad, as a former lost sheep myself, that our God gets joy from seeking and saving lost people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're astounded at your goodness. We don't deserve it. Not one bit of it. And yet you've given everything for us. You've laid yourself out completely. Though we're a little dumb and we wander and and we get ourselves into trouble, Lord, you come faithfully as our good shepherd. You pull us out of our sin and our folly and you bring us home into your family. And we're just so grateful for that today. I pray that you would make our hearts like your heart to love welcoming others to the same welcome we've received. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.